Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome back. Monday, August 28th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. David Dahl is my producer. He is sitting just west of me. I see Mr. Bill to my north, which is good. And the phone number for all of you is 602-508-0960-602-508-9060. This past Friday, I was privileged to open the conference on marriage. We co-hosted with Focus on the Family. And I began with a prayer which was this. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. I know that is a short prayer, and a deliberately short one at that. It was known as the Regent's Prayer, promoted in schools throughout the state of New York in the 1950s. A decade after it was proposed by the officials in the state of New York, the Supreme Court said it could not be declared or uttered by students in the schools of New York. Famous case, Ingle Ingle versus Vittel. I chose that prayer because I've been fascinated lately by that simple testament being run out of our schools because it means it was to be run out of our society and our culture. Richard John Newhouse would call this the effort to create a naked public square. He had that phrase and wrote a book about it 40 years ago. And as historian Wilfred McClay says, it was no period piece. But simply the busybodiness of the Supreme Court to be offended by asking a non-sectarian blessing on children's parents, teachers, and their country from 19... 62 on would commence one way, one big way in seeing permanent things starting to become transient things, important things starting to become unimportant things, nuisances even. I say all that because those of you who know this show well know I like to focus on what I call the durables, the things that last and the things that should last. And I think that's important when we've turned so many of the durables into disposables. We've turned verities into disposables. We've turned people into disposables. Just look at our chronic homeless problem is but one example. We've turned relationships into disposables. Look at how couples and friendships break up and ghost one another. And we've turned vows into disposables or temporary excitations Just look at the infidelity and divorce rates. Wedding vows used to be about till death do us part. Now they're they're just not. For what it's worth, a vow means a promise to God. Such and other things that used to be considered permanent and valuable are all now little more than convenient for the moment and something you can ultimately throw away for self-justifying reasons and arguable reasons and no reasons. Consider a small but big thing. I'm fascinated, as you know, with pop culture. And um, we've talked about this before. One of the very few popular songs 
that uh, started as a TV advertisement for usually TV ads that come from already made popular songs. But one of the first that went the other way was a 1970 ad for Crocker Bank in California. The song behind it was We've Only Just Begun, and it later became a big hit for the Carpenters. But the ad opened with a couple getting married on TV in a church with a priest. You'd never see an ad for a bank or anything else like that anymore, not with a church, not with a priest, not with a wedding ceremony. When we had occasion to revisit the old Ronald Reagan re-election ad from 1984, the Morning in America ad, we all acknowledge it's still seen as a classic and people still try to mimic it, but perhaps not the most important parts. It was a full minute in length, and 25% of that ad was a couple in a church getting married and being celebrated in the church courtyard. You'd never see an ad like that today, not in a church, not with a priest, not with a wedding ceremony. Why? Well, those things just don't resonate resonate anymore. Durables like faith, like vows, like marriages have been taught to be disposable, and so they be they have become just that, disposable and dispensable. The marriage rate has declined about 50% since that Reagan ad, about 60% since the Crocker Bank ad, and church attendance is now at an all-time low. I read this statistic in the New York Times last week, and it should astound. You ready? More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became religious from the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. Let me repeat that. More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all new people who became religious from the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. Net deficit. It seems to me It's not a coincidence this trajectory began with removing God from our institutions in the 1960s, and then we started hearing about other things, like my truth rather than the truth, and we started elevating the I. The me decade of the 1970s followed, that which Tom Wolfe wrote so well about. So, too, the culture of narcissism that Christopher Lash wrote about at the end of the same decade— This, it seems to me, is the key problem we must confront today to repair our society again, beginning with building more and repairing more of the first of our institutions, family, which comes from marriage. And good families come out of good marriages. Love, respect, suppressing suppressing selfishness, attentiveness to things and institutions greater than ourselves. You know, I also like to talk about forces of composition versus forces of decomposition, an old Robert Nesbitt construction. Good families and attentiveness to the important, the critical, the non-frivolous, the non-immediately gratifying, those are forces, we might say, of composition, something bigger than ourselves or our own temporary wants and desires and self-interest. Those are the epoxies of composition and durability. We know this from a lot of ancient, reliable sources, don't we? Love always perseveres, we are told, if we are not proud, if we are not self-seeking. Love will always persevere. That's one teaching. And that's a good word, persevere. It means to persist, to continue in the face of obstacles and challenges. 
I think the problem many of us confront today is we see the obstacles and challenges as bigger than the original vow, the original journey, the original goal, the original mission, or the original point and destination. In his famous 1941 speech, Winston Churchill said, Never give in, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great nor small, large nor petty. It just seems to me the course of the culture over the past several decades has been a course of turning the large into the petty and the petty into the large. That's a disorientation. Augustine told us to be conscientious of the ordo amoris, the order of loves. It's a distortion and a disorientation to say that the order would put the self first. And yet that is what we have done. It's a misprioritization, if nothing else. And you see the downwash all around us as a result, perhaps beginning with a government edict that children cannot or could not ask for blessings on their parents, their teachers, or their country. And of course, today, when we look at the modern uses of education, the modern modes of education, it's the use of children to protect adults. You see that again happening today with the new variant of COVID and the things that we are asking children to do all over again, just in time, of course, of course, for the school year and as the election season heats up again. The use of children in the name of safety for adults. That, too, is a misprioritization. That, too, is a disorientation. You know what misprioritizations and disorientations are when they're not just in the body politic, but in our thinking and in our mind? They're delusions. They're wrong thinking. They're delusional and wrong thinking. They're frenetic. And we're about to be put through a frenzy again with this new school year. Don't let it happen. Think on what's important. Think on the big things, and beyond all else, reduce the self and persevere. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. David, good to uh, see you again uh, this uh, Monday afternoon. You had a good weekend, I trust, I hope. My weekend was spent here. Oh yes, you're still training on the new software. Yes, and there's a lot to <laughs> a lot to do. But but at least they brought you food, right? Yes, yes, they did bring us food. Can you guess? Well, I I'm sure it's it's like pizza or sandwiches. Well, or it's Chinese. always pizza. It's but always it depends pizza. what type of pizza. Well, I heard tale that there was Chicago pizza, yes, and I don't that understand we, that we at some, all. Some That's basically tomato cheese soup from the Chicago office, and they suggested that we get some uh, deep dish pizza, and so we got some Lou Malnati's. Okay. <laughs> all right. More to say about that in a few moments. Let's go to Doug. Hi, Doug. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I got to walk out of here. Did I'm everything just of... crash? It sounded like bookshelves came flying down. No, no, no. I'm in the middle of remodeling a, an extensive area for a studio, and I was busy sheetrocking, so I apologize. I, you know. I, I understood half those words, but okay. 
Well, there we are. Sorry about that. Is no, it better now? No, no, no. I meant literally. I don't <laughs> sheet rocking is a verb. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> well, I'm I'm helping. Uh, yeah, I know yeah, what sheet rock it. is, but I didn't know you yeah. could actually make it a verb. You're sheet rocking. Okay, good. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, technically mudding. Mudding. Okay. Hey, listen. Yes, sir. I I absolutely loved your uh monologue, but I um, and again, I'm going to disagree ever the slightest sure. because, I, because unfortunately, um, like I say, and I, I don't mean this, it's not a lie, but I agree with you uh, so much, it's hard to find any room to disagree. So I get all excited when I can. Okay. You know, all so. right. But basically, you were giving I, I often example. worry when we do disagree with a lot of, well, a lot of people, and I often worry that when we do disagree, I'm probably wrong and you're probably right. So go oh, to God, it, brother. Oh, no. Go to no, it. actually, the fact remember the one time a couple of years back, I said I was so honored that I disagreed vehemently with Dennis Prager, a man I respect so much. Uh-huh, okay. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, <clears throat> here's what it is. Um, basically, you were you were giving examples of the kind of the drift and rot yeah. that was going on. Yeah. OK, I I will take a, the very quote that you gave. And it's been my chorus. Uh, I'm like the canary in the coal mine. I insist on saying this over and over. Um, you're quoted Churchill. Yeah. And I would like to quote him again that you you don't never give up. Right. You never give up. You never give up. You never surrender. You don't give up. You don't back down. Okay. That is the problem with the right. That has been the, that is what caused everything else you gave. Yours was yours was the symptom of that. Okay. That caused the rot and the drift. Okay. The left will push and push and push until you don't let them anymore. We have a culture of 50 years of letting them push. As a matter of fact, if you ask someone not to let them push, you get the people who have been a culture of accommodation and their self-righteousness is tied up into the, the establishment their self-righteousness is tied up into accommodating. See, in other words, how do you keep the peace with a leftist? Mm -hmm. You always Mm -hmm. give them what they want. Mm -hmm. And so if you are asking for peace, if you're asking for the going back to the old days when we got along, you're saying, let's go back to the old days where the left advanced, because we got to the lawfare by letting the advance of the left put their leftists into there. That was 40 years they did that, and we kept giving them the, let let the radicals get in there. We'll get, we'll vote them in, we'll be nice. So I'm just saying we have caused that rot. You'll see that in churches. We accommodated in all our churches, and and they always go off the biblical teachings, and they get more, you know, really touchy-feely, and it's always, the people who go um, do that are always leftists. And the teachings always go to the left. I've had to leave several churches. And even in the Catholic Church, I know a nun, a, a good a sister of a good friend of ours. She's a radical socialist, and uh, she's, she's a professor in a Catholic uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, school, university. Mm-hmm. She is so radical, you can't believe her. The, the, and here's the interesting thing with the leftists. Their religion of the left supersedes their religion of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I am aware of this crisis in the Church. I'm aware of it in a lot of places. Um, I was reading the other day 
that um, there's a big effort in, I don't know how familiar you are with the 12-step group Alcoholics Anonymous, but yep. uh, the meetings typically end with the Lord's Prayer. There's a big effort to take that out. I mean, we're back to removing the organ and demanding the function and elevating the I uh, and the me. Um, but the question does become, right, are these churches just going to end up being empty? Are they going to be empty? 40 million well, American mostly, adults have stopped yeah. going in the last 25 yeah. years. That's an astounding yeah. number. Because we, we have to begin to realize, in, as conservatives— and I, I mentioned this a while back, too, but I think it needs to be said again, is that religion and faith, um, we were the most religious and faithful people. And that doesn't mean Bible pumping. It means live, living, and the Christianity is living this, in, in Judaism, is living this uh, beautiful thing where you, you, you supersede your needs to the, to the divine. Sure. And, and, it's, and, 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 and our founding fathers uh, said that this whole Constitution was only, can only work with a religious people because it will never work for any other. And it's a lot of we. It's not very much I. And it's a no, lot of the, the truth, not a lot of my truth. That's it. It's the truth. Yeah. And you now that re- religiosity, it, it, it exists in a soup of a culture. And the, the culture is uh, this uh, of holding to these truths. And, it's, and so we have gotten away from the very things that, see, we look at, I'll go to church. And in in very recently, I'll go to church, and that's my religion instead of realizing that your religion exudes into the culture and into the society, because that is... Yeah, that's right. Well, that's exactly why they took it out of the schools, and that's why they're taking it out of the church. A lot of people are commemorating Martin Luther King today because it's the anniversary of the famous March on Washington. One of the most uh, undervalued quotes of his was when he would give a sermon, and he would finish it and say, the most important part of this sermon is what you do when you leave the doors. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so we have to realize is that we, you are not fighting, you are not being religious if you hide in the church, because that will not save our society. That will not, and I mean that politically and economically and morally and spiritually, because believe it or not, what we have to come to realize is that um, economic success is tied to societal success. Yeah. Societal success is tied to moral success, and moral success is tied to spiritual success. Yeah. We could we could the spend whole a whole three hours on that down. point. Yeah, no, very valid. Yeah. If we disagree, uh, I don't know where, but if we disagree, Doug, I, I take whatever you said over what I did. I praise. <laughs> I, I thank you, You're my kind. friend. Bless you, you bet, sir. You betcha. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski, among many other things, is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his uh, website, great upbeat website, great way to learn uh, more about Grand Canyon and uh, also reach out to him. How are you? Happy Monday, John. Happy Monday, Seth. Doing well. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Um, You and I were both struck by a similar article in the Wall Street Mm -hmm. Journal today. You've heard of quiet quitting. Now right. companies are quiet 
cutting. First, I have to say something about Wall Street Journal articles as opposed to things you get in a lot of other newspapers. They actually start with the story. They don't start with some individual's long, long story of misery. You know, right. have you noticed this trend in, in news, John? It's Joe and John were da 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 da, and it tells their whole life story, and then we get to it. The Wall Street Journal seems not to do this story by anecdote. They actually just get right to it. Workers are waking up to emails and team meeting requests with a jarring message. They aren't fired, but their jobs are gone. That's what I want. Right. I mean, I don't want that, Um, but that's how I want a story. (laughs) And you understand. Yeah, and so it is interesting, right, because they're not being fired. They're being reassigned. Uh And um, basically to a position, in many cases, that's below their pay grade or in an area of the company that they really don't have any expertise in, and they weren't hired to do initially. Uh, and I guess you could look at there's two sides to this one. The company's saying, well, I'm trying to keep people on. But in reality, there are those out there that are saying, no, they're trying to force people out and getting them to quit rather than having to fire them uh, to where they would have to pay you know, unemployment or some type of a severance, give a severance package to someone. Uh, so, uh, you know, I guess in some cases this article does talk about some companies that legitimately – uh, we're reassigning people with with the understanding that they believed at some point they would need these people uh, back again for the next chapter of whatever the company's uh, you know goals are going to be moving forward. You know, a company like Microsoft, there's an ever changing uh, you know situation going on right now with uh, uh, the artificial intelligence, as an example. So uh, there are definitely changes going on with a lot of these tech companies, especially. And so there might be some areas of their their organization where the job someone was hired for is not necessarily going to be a focus moving forward. Uh, So do you try to reassign these people, try to get them in positions and try to train them and get them up and going in another area, not to fire them? Or do you just fire them and and hire people uh, that you can use for that new uh, position? It's a tough call, Seth. Uh, You know, I don't know. I can see both sides of it, though. John, um, you know, a couple... About two years ago, up till about last year, the buzzword around was the Great Resignation. You remember this, right? Yes. Are we going through a great restructuring right now in a lot of these big companies? Are, are, it seems the more I read, the more I see that they seem to be doing a lot of restructuring. Yeah, I think what had happened was is you had a number of companies that uh, really pushed hard uh, during uh, this area when COVID hit, mm-hmm. and they needed uh, everybody was getting slammed with. Uh, you know, uh, it was such a robust economy at the time they needed needed people. Mm-hmm. Well, now a lot of these companies realize, hey, we overhired and the economy has absolutely come to a screeching halt and uh, we don't need uh, this many people any longer. Mm-hmm. And so layoffs, we, we, we find we're uh, actually on the increase. But now we're starting to see, I think for the first time, it says since 2022, uh, this is uh, uh, the first time we're. Uh, layoffs did not beat uh, the year over year, you know, from 2022 to 2023 for this month. So meaning that they're doing it in a different way, yeah. right? This quiet, called it quiet cutting yeah. rather than firing someone. So it most likely will lead to someone losing their job, quitting in some fashion or another. But uh, this is uh, just a different way now for companies to do this. Maybe it uh, helps them ease their mind a bit doing it this way rather than just coming in and you know 
re- reducing their workforce in one fell swoop. Yeah, it's 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 just so interesting to watch this. I mean, the Wall Street Journal piece names a lot of big companies that are going yeah. through this. I got to tell you, I everyone I talk to's company, big company, is going through this. Um, yeah, the, these kinds of things. Back. Yeah, good for highlighting it, John. I thank you, sir, very much. Uh, you bet. And uh, again, if uh, you get laid off, you know you're going to have a situation maybe where you've got a four hundred one k that you need to do something with. Please reach out to us. Happy mm-hmm. to help with that rollover. Uh, yeah. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Security. LLC, a member of Finra and Tippett, an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Pony Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon. Yep. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello there, Seth, my friend. Good to talk to you, and Thank thanks you. for taking my call. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hope David, you had a good weekend. It was very nice, very, uh, very good, very enjoyable. I got a little hot under the collar because I had to be outside some some parts of the day. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's why God <laughs> gave us air conditioning. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, David tells me that uh, you guys enjoyed some good hors on Friday night. It's, uh, let's see, uh, uh People say hors d'oeuvres, but it's really hors d'oeuvre because it's breaks from work. Over is work, right? So it's really hors d'oeuvre, hors d'oeuvre, I suppose, hors d'oeuvre. Something like that. Yeah, a separation or break from work. Uh, We were at a conference on marriage, believe it or not. Not 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 that kind of marriage. But marriage. I remember. Yeah. I remember hearing about all that and the discussion about the orders. Yes, and, yes, we worked uh, diligently. Whether they were appetizers. Yes, we or couldn't have. A, I refu- uh, Yes, I got very angry that they were putting out appetizers with no dinner. They right. needed to have hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, listen, uh, Seth. I just wanted to say, uh, your um, thank you for the uh, powerful monologue. Uh, that you gave today. Oh, thank you. Uh, I always appreciate them, but uh, today's was especially good. And it reminded me, uh, what was it that Andrew, I think it was Andrew Breitbart, uh, used to say, uh, all politics is downstream from culture or yeah. something mm-hmm. like that? He did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what struck me is that your monologue talks about <laughs> the sliding of our culture, as uh, Judge Bork said, toward Gamaro. Uh-huh, Gamaro, yeah. Mm-hmm. now we wake up today with our politics where it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it occurs to me that, uh, uh, in fact, I heard uh, Seb- Sebastian Gorka did an interview with Mike Huckabee uh, this afternoon. Oh, okay, okay. It was really good. Yeah. And... Uh, one of the things, well, a couple of things that Mike talked about, uh, he talked quite a bit about why he is such a staunch supporter of President Trump. And the second thing, or one of the other things they talked about was, uh, you know, why it's so important for all of us to get involved. And uh, Mike Huckabee just came right out and said, he said, look, folks, he said, we are... Uh, in dire straits. We are in very serious situation. And Sebastian asked him, what, well, what, uh, how would you describe it? He said, well, from a medical point of view, it's stage four cancer. Hmm. 
and if we don't cure this, we're done. Mm. Mm. Uh, very sobering, but, you know, also very hopeful. I mean, that, that we're going to fight, keep fighting and do the best we can do. But he talked about the fact that, that you know, President Trump is uh, probably the most attacked political figure in all of our history. And uh, probably. For almost yeah. 225 yeah. years. No, I think that's probably right. Yeah. 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 And it's just incredible the point that we've gotten to, and we we have we have to correct it if we're going to continue as a nation. Well, think about what's really under assault. Boy, I hope stage four is wrong. Uh, I hope he's wrong yeah. about stage four. There's an interesting Wall Street Journal op-ed flying around about we've been through worse times. I want to run it through the audience and by the audience. Maybe I'll do it at the top of the next hour. A friend of mine oh. sent me. But, but okay. so, yeah, stage – I don't know. Can you recover from stage four? I hope he's wrong about that. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I do too. Yeah, I hope, I hope he he's wrong about that. But you think about the things that are under assault. You know, it used to be, you know, stresses about foreign policy – and debates over the best way to conduct it, or national mm-hmm. security, or taxes and the economy and spending. It used to be debates about that kind of thing, best way to achieve or implement welfare reform, uh, best manners of uh, best manners of policing, and best kind of criminal policy. And these were all, or even education policy, debates about those kinds of things. But underneath all of those debates now is something is are, are debates that are far deeper, are running far deeper to the core of the very meaning of those things. So right. it's no longer, I mean, the most trenchant debate in education is not really to have school choice or not, to extend the school day or not, to extend the school year or not. The most important debates in education right now are whether parents can have a say over the upbringing of their children and whether children can decide to be got, become boys or girls without their parents knowing it or even in uh, in opposition to what their parents may want. Um, right, th- right. Th- that's the debate. That's the trenchant debate in education right now. Uh, the trenchant debate in, in I don't know, crim- crim- criminal policy or, or with regard to crime is not so much about what, what is the best kind of policing and what level should we set uh, bailout, uh, what level should we uh, adjust felonies up or down. It's about whether there should be bail and whether we should even arrest people. Um, it's about right. whether we're even going to enforce our criminal laws. It's about whether there should even be police. Yeah. I mean, they, these are structurally fundamental debates. In foreign policy, <clears throat> you can do the same thing. It's about, you know, whether we should even give two hoots about our allies or not, or whether or whether or not communism is dangerous anymore. Not about how best to contain it or roll, or whether we should roll it back. It's about right. whether it's even a perhaps saleable ide- ideology that, that should be implemented here. Again, a structural foundational change of the debate. I've never really thought of this before, so it's maybe coming out perhaps less articulately than I can usually try and muster. But that's what you're making me think about, Rick. The yeah. debates underneath these once standard debates are foundational that go to the very meaning. Um, you know, who thought? Who thought that we would go from very contentious Supreme Court hearings having to do with the kinds of things you mentioned, Robert Bork, like 
that Robert Bork stood for in his interpretation of the Constitution. Who thought we would go from that, which was interesting and new and hard and in some ways distasteful enough, to a Supreme Court nominee having to justify not being able to tell us what a woman is? Um, Right. Again, structural, foundational questions that no one ever contemplated taking place in a free society. Yeah. And that kind of takes me back to what I talked to you last week or week before about, (coughs) excuse me, uh, President uh, Obama's statement, you know, now begins the task of now we begin the task of fundamentally transforming America. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, And all of that speaks to that very thing. That was one of the things Mike Huckabee mentioned. He said, you know, who could have imagined that we have gone from you are innocent until proven guilty to now you are guilty and you must prove you are innocent. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's, a, again, a misprioritization and a deprioritization. It's a disorientation. Thank you so much, Rick. I appreciate it. I'm going to think more on this. Appreciate it. You've heard me uh, talking about why refi, a uh, great sponsor of this and so many other great shows on this network, and uh, they are getting a great response from you. Um, thank you for supporting an investment that actually does help people. Um, it is true uh, what I say about why refi. Of course it is. I wouldn't tell you something that isn't. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. If the stock market's volatility worries you, if inflation or talk of recession worries you, this investment is not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. You can turn your income on or off and compound it, whatever you like, and there are absolutely no fees. There's no reduction principle or penalty if you ever need your money back, and you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. If you're not sure if you trust this economy, this secure collateralized portfolio may be a very good option for you. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. I was making reference to the new effort um, to ensure children's uh, and young adults' vaccines and going back to school, and there's a new effort uh, to mask all over again. I want to draw your attention to a couple pieces. One at the City Journal by John Tierney. He's the former science. Um, he's a former science reporter from the New York Times. Great headline: No masks, please. We're rational. Maskaholics are incorrigible. The rest of us should pay them no heed. Great plate. Great piece in the um, Wall Street Journal as well by John uh, Hennessy. Uh, who uh, says when I was he writes when I was a kid the loudest voices urging me to question authority and fight the power came from the left now those same voices urge obedience to state control when the world's gone crazy and nothing makes sense he writes the only rational option is to think for yourself do what feels right regardless of what people say about you on television don't follow the leaders as Bob Dylan once sang and watch your parking meters we could use. Some of that spirit, he writes. I was thinking of that. That would, that would be a set of lyrics that my actually David's and my mutual friend Steve would like. Anytime there's an opportunity to quote Bob Dylan, uh, 
he he loves that. But I was looking up that song, the whole full lyrics. It's a song I was looking up the lyrics on that could have been written during COVID, quite frankly. It's called the Subterranean Homesick Blues, but it was written in 1965. And uh, Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. The man in the trench coat, badge out, laid off, says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Um, I, you could see why. <laughs> you could see why I thought it was written during COVID. All right, we have a lot more coming up. We'll be right back.